You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 10. The Daleks Master Plan Story Review Part 2. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my companion on this podcasting adventure through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Marty, we've got to get you back to the future. Oh, oh sorry, wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Paul? It's been hey, a little man. bit. <laughs> yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. So... We, we did take a week off last week. Um, I was coming back from vacation and did not feel like, you know, recording immediately after a very long flight um, where I had to change planes one more time than I thought I would. Anyways, that's a, time, that's a story for another day. But we are back and we are here to finish up our review of the Daleks Master Plan. The Daleks Master Plan being a 12 part story arc with an additional prequel episode, so 13 episodes in all. Um, we got through episode 6 uh, and, and plus the prequel episode, so 7 episodes on our last episode. Uh, we left off with the Doctor, Stephen, and Sarah uh, having escaped Kemble uh, after unloading the fake Terranium to the uh, the Daleks and Mavic Chen for their time destruct destruct destructor weapon. Yes. English, I can do words. <laughs> um, time destructor weapon. Uh, by the way, I should mention uh, that our reviews, especially the classic episodes, include full spoilers, so expect to be spoiled uh, completely. <laughs> Spoilers. We last left the Doctor, Sarah, and Stephen having just landed on a new planet, and the Doctor's ordering them to stay put because look at the dial, the atmosphere, it's too dangerous. It's too poisonous for you. There's too much pollution. Um, and so he tells them to stay put. And now he's going to go outside to see what's going on. 
because his... See, this wouldn't even be an issue if he would just fix the navigation system on this thing. But that takes all the fun out of it. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Well, I mean, he lands, he doesn't even know where he is. He has to look through the monitor to find out where he is. I mean, really? (laughs) Well, details, (laughs) you know... (laughs) Uh, the Doctor steps out of the TARDIS to find himself in 1960s England in front of a police station. Um, <laughs> he is quickly noticed by a couple of officers and quickly returns to the TARDIS. I wonder if that tells you anything about the Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> well, a little bit of social commentary never hurt anybody, apparently. Um, <laughs> but he decides that he needs to go distract the police officers so that Stephen and Sarah uh, can repair the TARDIS scanner because it got damaged and is not working uh, at the moment. So he goes back out of the TARDIS and allows himself to be taken into the police station to be questioned. Stephen sneaks out, finds a spare police uniform in a police car that's sitting near the TARDIS <laughs> puts it on and he's going to uh, go find the doctor Sarah meanwhile yeah. comes out to fix the scanner the doctor is being interrogated and is not being very helpful uh, they they think he's nuts the interrogators think he's nuts to which he promptly refuses it refutes you know it's you know he's very indignant that they think he's a nutter um but then he's completely honest with them and tells them everything, you know. Which is why they think he's a nutter. This old boy's off his rocker. Steven wanders into the police station and gets himself uh, misidentified as the new recruit from J Division. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. Haha, <laughs> I'm here for the old man. So they they manage mm. to uh, hoodwink the police officers and everybody gets away. They take off in the TARDIS and land in a new location on Earth. Um, a little bit farther back in the past. It uh, appears to be closer to the 1930s because they land on a movie set um, in a studio. And they keep running into all sorts of weird and interesting movie sets. There's one where a girl is being about to be tortured. There's the, the shake uh, in his, with his harem. Stephen. Chaos ensues. Chaos ensues. <laughs> Stephen is still in the police uniform and ends up getting mixed up with uh, the Keystone cops. And there is a, a near encounter with Charlie Chaplin as well. They won't let me do this. You know why? Chaplin's already done it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the doctor has a conversation with Bing Crosby, who's giving up acting because, giving up comedy because Chaplin's already done it all. Yeah. This is a nutty episode. This episode should not exist. I'm sorry. It, <laughs> this particular episode is called The Feast of Stephen. Um, and basically... <laughs> It's just sort of a fun, dink, dink, fun, uh, crazy Uh, episode that's not really supposed to be dark at all. 
Because it was aired the week of Christmas. Yeah. And the whole point of its existence is, well, we can't show anything dark at Christmas time. <laughs> oh, if they were only looking at the show now. Right. <laughs> right. And those dream crabs from last Christmas. Um, <laughs> Face huggers. <laughs> but anyway, at the end of the episode, the Doctor, Stephen, and Sarah are toasting to Christmas and then the doctor turns directly into the camera and wishes everybody at home a happy Christmas as well. He breaks the fourth wall. You never break the fourth wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can sometimes. <laughs> but yes. That uh, that's the feast of Stephen. That's an entire episode where this it's episode just... should not exist. <laughs> it's hijinks. It's just hijinks the entire episode. Yeah, but the... it, it, it takes away from the story. I'm sorry. It takes away from the story. Yeah. It... <laughs> Paul, you mentioned in our conversation before we started recording that yeah. you could completely skip this episode and nothing yeah. would ever happen. Nothing it... changes if you take this episode out at all. Except for the fact that you would go from, stop, you can't go outside. The air is poisonous. <laughs> um, to something completely different, you know. But other than that, that well, quick little... You know. Snippet there, <laughs> nothing would change. Yeah. I, I, it's, <sighs> there were moments in there where I was like, eh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> but. Well, it's got some nice humor in it, but that's the only, the only redeeming quality that it has. It has it, nothing to do with the story at large. Right. Um, and, and it's just sort of bizarre. Because all it is is a loose script to give us a bunch of hijinks. Uh, hijinks and silliness. Which, I'm not against hijinks and silliness, but there was no <laughs> point to these hijinks and silliness. No, no, not at um, all. Why don't we get back to, <laughs> to <laughs> the real yeah. episode? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you're not going to hear me talk really 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 negatively about Doctor Who most of the time but this is one place where I can say I did not enjoy this part yeah I, I'm generally somebody who's pretty easygoing with things I don't take things too critically or too seriously and so you know you will find that some of the episodes that most people are like oh these are too silly or oh I don't like these you know I won't have too much of a problem with it but this one I'm just like what are we doing what I mean, one of my favorite one of, one of my favorite Matt Smith episodes is Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. You know, that's completely ludicrous, but I love <laughs> it. You know, I love it because it's dinosaurs it, you know, on a freaking spaceship. What's yeah, not to love? I mean, it's just totally ludicrous, but I still love it. You know, this was not that, if you know what I'm saying. This it was, was, yeah, it was just you know. <laughs> Bizarre is the closest word I can yeah. come to with describing it. Weird. I think that I think the writers wrote it when they were on a bender. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wrote it at the pub after hours um, on a napkin in like fifteen <laughs> minutes. You know. <laughs> yep. This yep. Would, this would be funny. <laughs> 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 All right, well, let's get back to something that's actually good uh, about this storyline. 
<laughs> the Daleks and Mavic Chen, you know, after regaining what they think is the Terranium core, fit it in the Time Destructor, and they need to test this. Um, and one of the delegates, which one is it? The the delegates of the these worlds. Um, it's not Trantis. Is it Trantis or is it? No, it is Trantis. Yeah, Trantis, who is this this sort of goth looking guy with pointy teeth. Yeah, and he's not all there. No, he's not. He's a bit insane, slightly. Um, and the Daleks and Mavic Chen are getting annoyed with him. And so they decide to test the Time Destructor on Trantis. You know, he he's placed in a cell with the machine. And he's actually all for this. He actually wants to do this. That's the crazy part, you know? Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. Because he's standing there with a big smile on his face. I mean, he's well, like, hey, you know... That's... That's just the the picture that they had for the uh, reconstruction. I I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that. Well, he wasn't yelling and screaming, "Hey, let me out! Let me out!" I mean, well, maybe you know. maybe the uh, that room is soundproof. <laughs> so um, it's hard to tell because this is one of those episodes where uh, it's a complete you know photo snap reconstruction, basically. Um, well, so I, they have... I I say this because one of the characters actually says. Yeah, he never was really all there anyway, was he? You know, uh, so they apparently they thought he was volunteering, volunteering for it as well. Uh, no, he's not volunteering. Uh, the Daleks selected him. They're like, you know, we will test it on Trantis, or you know, because he has no use. <laughs> you know, the Daleks have no use for him anymore. So we're going to test it on you. It's your only usefulness anymore. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't work because the core is not real. You know, Chen is blamed for this, and they they kill Trantis. Um, just because they can. You know, there's, because that was the plan in the first place. and No purpose for it. There's no purpose for him anymore. So he's just, they're, they're done with him. They were going to kill him anyways with the Time Destructor, and so they kill him. Uh, but they blame Chen for giving them the fake Terranium and... Chen, of course, you know, transfers the blame back onto the doctor because he didn't check it. Uh, and so the Daleks board a time machine, uh, will send it to Scaro for a time machine, uh, and inform Chen that he will be accompanying the pursuit team uh, to repay for his failure. I see they proved me wrong because on the last episode I said, you know, apparently the Daleks have not. The uh, you know conquered time travel and they proved me wrong because they actually have uh, at this <laughs> point so yeah oh well that's what we get for watching half of it right <laughs> right <laughs> right the TARDIS is traveling and has discovered that there is another time ship in pursuit of them uh, they uh, they land. They try to escape. Uh, they land in the middle of a cricket match uh, before taking back off and leaving again. Uh, yeah, that was funny. I'm it sorry. Was... <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was like all of a sudden, you know, the the commentators are talking about, well, 
what a comeback the British will have to have, <laughs> you know, in order to, to come back and win this game. And then all of a sudden the TARDIS lands in the middle of the field and, oh, you know, look, they're, they're t- a police box out in the middle of the field. Yeah. What do you think I'm, of that? You know, oh, <laughs> well, it doesn't look good for the British because they will have to move that and that will take off time in the game, you know. And, and even it, if it takes 10 minutes, they'll only have so many minutes left in order to be able to make this many, you know. And I'm going, right. dude, it just freaking materialized out of nowhere in the middle of the field and you are like acting like it's no big deal, you know. <laughs> Well, they're well, they're British, and there's this one dude standing out there scratching his head, you know, like trying to figure out how it got there, you know, how to get it, <laughs> get it off the field, and then of course it dematerializes, and they're like, oh well, now we can continue the game and all this, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm like seriously, you know, <laughs> I would have been like, dude, did you just see that? Did you look? Look, 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 yes. And they're like, oh, well, that's unfortunate now, isn't it? You know? <laughs> right. Oh, dude. <laughs> I loved it. I laughed so hard. <laughs> I actually rewound it and watched it twice. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, but they, they ultimately land on this volcanic planet to, to see if they can confront whoever is following them. <laughs> Elsewhere on the planet, the meddling monk lands his TARDIS. I uh, have to give us some some background on the meddling the, monk because yes, we haven't discussed that. The monk is from the episode uh, "The Time Meddler," which uh, we mentioned on one of our previous episodes uh, a while back. And it is one of the best episodes, uh, the best story arcs, I think, in uh, the first Doctor's run. Um, the Time Meddler, the, the monk, is a, a fellow Time Lord, although we don't know that's what they're called yet. Uh, he's a fellow Time Traveler from the same planet as the Doctor. There was early, early information led us to believe that he may have been one of the first incarnations of the Master, but that has since been retconned into him being a completely new character. Uh, Previously, the Doctor stopped the Monk from his time meddling by... I forget what control he took out. He took out the trans-dimensional stabilizer, I think is what it was, uh, which basically turned off the TARDIS's ability to be bigger on the inside. Uh, and so when the the monk opened his the door to his TARDIS, everything was everything in his TARDIS was crammed into the actual space of the of whatever his TARDIS was. And so uh, that's funny. And so he couldn't really get in. Um, that's funny. <laughs> but he has apparently fixed that, uh, and is yeah, now is his TARDIS actually works. Yes, his TARDIS works, and it, it uh, resolves itself into a big, you know, rock outcropping here on this volcanic planet. And so, <laughs> uh, his chameleon circuit works. He's now fixed it, of course, and is after the Doctor for revenge. The Doctor, Sarah, and Stephen explore the planet, looking for whoever was following them. And the monk, meanwhile, is able to sneak up on the TARDIS and disable the lock. Of the TARDIS. Yeah. He, uh... 
He, what did he do to it exactly? I, th- I think he seized it up. Uh, it he says could, he disables the lock with a device that brought yeah, that he, he brought. With couldn't him. even put the key in it at that point. He is then confronted by the doctor, Stephen and Sarah, and he, you know, he gloats about how he escaped and why he's after them, and then he dashes off to his TARDIS and leaves them marooned. You know, an eye for an eye, basically. You know, right. since the Doctor left him marooned in 1066, he's going to leave them marooned here on this volcanic world, you know, uh, away from civilization. Stephen tries to pick the lock to get back in the TARDIS, and the Doctor then uses his ring. He's got this big ring on his hand um, to reflect the sunlight back into the lock. Uh, which causes it to to spring open, uh, and he he says that this is because the the sun is just you know rebirthing, so it's got special energies, and the ring itself has special qualities. And Stephen is like, well, what kind of special quali- qualities? Special qualities. That's all you need to know about it. You know, he exactly has no interest <laughs> in revealing his secrets <clears throat> there, um, but he's yeah. able to to reflect the light back into the lock, and the TARDIS opens up. So. He he doesn't like uh, explaining himself to anybody at this point. No, no, no. I don't think that's really ever changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been certain incarnations that are better about that than others, but... True. Uh, you know. It depends on, uh, on what he's asked to explain. The, the monk, of course, swears that the doctor won't get away that easily and, and takes off after them. The doctor, Stephen, and Sarah then realize they're still being pursued by a time ship. They think it's the monk again, uh, and they're trying to find a way to, to get away from them. So they land again during a New Year's Eve celebration in London, and then they take off again. But we then see that the Dalek time machine has arrived on Kemble and Mavic Chen and a squad of Daleks board it and take off after the, the doctor. Right. So at this point they have two time machines chasing them. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got the, the monk, this vindictive monk and they've got the Daleks. The next (laughs) episode sees, the TARDIS land in ancient Egypt at the foot of the Great Pyramid. The time machine of Mavic Chen and the Daleks, they determine they're only four minutes behind and are monitoring the TARDIS and wonder why it hasn't left. Uh, you know, why it hasn't taken off again after it landed. Um, right. But Stephen thinks that it's the monk's ship that's landed. Right. They, they still think the monk is after them. Uh, the doctor is attempting to, you know, repair the lock and everything, and Stephen and Sarah go to confront the monk when he lands. And uh, Stephen basically says, "Why hasn't the thing changed shape? Why does it not look like it belongs in the environment? Uh, because it's supposed to do that automatically, you know." And that is when he looks and sees the Daleks start to come out of the ship. Yes, the Daleks have beat the monk to Egypt. And the Daleks and Mavic Chen are on their way. Uh, Stephen and Sarah try to, uh, of course, escape 
to go warn the doctor, but are captured by a hostile army of Egyptian soldiers uh, who <laughs> who think that they are looters of the Great Pyramid. Uh, they, they do not want their, you know, their tombs inside to be disturbed, which is understandable. Um, but they capture Stephen and Sarah and try to capture the Daleks. Um, they think they're all in it together. Right. But of course, you know, the, the Egyptians and their weapons are no match for Dalek weaponry. And uh, what remains of the fighting force of Egyptian soldiers escapes with Sarah and Stephen in tow. Uh, <laughs> they're a little freaked out, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're 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 not. The, the Egyptians are not, um, shall we say, coping well. <laughs> Meanwhile, the doctor has fixed the the lock on the TARDIS, and he goes to find Stephen and Sarah, and notices the monk landing. He hides, and the monk, of course, uh, leaves his TARDIS in search of the doctor. Yeah, this is oh, dude, this was funny. He he um, <laughs> he steps out of the TARDIS, looks around. Goes into the, goes into his TARDIS and comes out back out with a pair of sunglasses. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was because, totally totally out of the eighties, and it was back in the sixties. <laughs> right. Well, the, the the thing the thing about the monk, uh, and you will find this out if you watch the Time Meddler, is that he has no problem in uh, bringing things from other time periods to the ancient past or, you know, to the future or whatever. He has no time, uh, no problems mixing technologies and inventions and those sort of thing. Uh, so he's got a pair of sunglasses with him in ancient Egypt and he's fine with that. <laughs> um, now he goes out to search for the doctor. Meanwhile, the doctor sneaks inside the monk's TARDIS. Yeah, this I thought was hilarious. He sneaks back inside the monk's TARDIS <laughs> and, and changes the uh, the chameleon circuit to turn the TARDIS into a police box. Yeah, but before it does that, it changes into about four or five other things first. He has to cycle through a few things. <laughs> Turns into a wagon, and uh, what else does it turn into? Um, a chariot. Chariot. There was a couple uh, of different things. Yeah, but it, it finally, <laughs> finally, none ends of up. them, none of them matched the scenery at all. No, <laughs> no, not in the slightest. Uh, but, but they, uh, he then, you know, of course, reemerges from the the newly transformed TARDIS, chuckling to himself, and sets off to see what the monk is up to. Uh, the monk, of course, is completely oblivious. The Daleks are there, and rounds a corner. And about runs into them and Mavic Chen. Uh, <laughs> and is spotted almost immediately. Yes. Uh, he he knows who the Daleks are. He is familiar with who they are. And the Daleks are about to exterminate him. But since Chen realizes that the monk knows who they are, uh, he convinces them to use the monk to track down the doctor. Uh, and to convince the doctor that if he will bring them the Terranium then everyone, including the monk, uh, will be spared. They will not be killed. So, <laughs> the and if the monk does not do this, 
within the hour, uh, his life is basically forfeit. So uh, he has to track down the doctor. He manages to find the doctor's TARDIS, which has been moved into the tomb of the pharaoh uh, because the Egyptians think it is some sort of treasure. Because uh, anything that is within the the, uh, the property, basically, of the Great Pyramid is a treasure for the the, the pharaoh. So, yes, so automatically the, the property of the, of the pharaoh. Exactly. And the monk is trying to get into the doctor's TARDIS and is confronted by the doctor. Uh, <laughs> and they, they are at an impasse because the doctor refuses to give over the Terranium, uh, but the monk... Uh, <laughs> but the bunk, of course, does really needs the doctor to give the Terranium over because, you know, he he really cares about his own life. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the point where you actually see the doctor start to uh, move toward the monk. And the monk is saying, doctor, doctor, doctor. And then it shifts to a completely other scene. It cuts. It cuts <laughs> to something else. Uh, Sarah and Stephen have managed to free themselves by cutting their bonds with a piece of broken pottery and uh, get into a, a fight with the, the Egyptian guards. Uh, and both of them are able to very handily take care of themselves and the guards. And they take off to try and find the doctor. The monk has missed his deadline, and so all humans are to be killed on sight. Sarah and Stephen know that the TARDIS has been moved to the tomb, and so they head there to see if the doctor has found it. Uh, and they yeah. get to the TARDIS. The doctor isn't there. But suddenly, <laughs> a bandaged hand starts to emerge from a sarcophagus nearby. <laughs> and and that's where the, then it ends. <laughs> and that's where that episode ends. Yeah. Of course, the bandaged hand <laughs> belongs to the monk, who the doctor uh, <laughs> he, tied he, up. He tied him up with bandages and stuffed him in a sarcophagus. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Uh, he's, at, at this point, they're they're almost like school kids. You know, they're um, almost like I'm going to prank you. No, I'm going to prank you. No, I'm going right. to prank you. You know, and but, seeing who can one up the other one. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the 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 monk is very very distraught, and now he's got a headache from the attack that the doctor did on him because the doctor is very malicious and he needs some medicine that the doctor is sure to have in his TARDIS and yeah. you should let me in and you know Stephen just looks at him and no even if I wanted to I don't have the key you know <laughs> oh okay <laughs> and so Stephen Sarah and the monk go out to try and find the doctor who is of course disappeared um, because that's what the doctor does. Uh, and of course, run right into the Daleks and Chen, who demands the Terranium. Uh, the monk, of course, claims that he was bringing Sarah and Stephen as hostages to the Daleks because, you know, he's obviously failed in his mission. Uh, he was bringing them hostages because, you know, the doctor wouldn't leave his companions behind. Right. And so Chen goes, fine. Well, you'll be a hostage, too. Um, <laughs> and the three of them are taken to the Dalek time machine. 
the Egyptians have been calling for reinforcements. They've got an army on their way. The Chen and the Daleks issue an ultimatum to the Doctor through a loudspeaker in their time machine, which can cover seven miles. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, yeah. Um, the the Egyptians automatically think that it's the voice of God. Yes, you the know. voice of the gods. <laughs> um, well, no, it, it can't be, because they'd speak in words that we understand. You know, nothing... <laughs> Nothing about this terranium or anything. Um, right. Of course, the doctor feels that he has no choice and presents himself to the time machine in order, you know, and he will turn over the terranium on his terms. Uh, he will meet at a neutral location where Chen and one Dalek will bring Sarah, Stephen, and the monk. And then he disappears into the ruins again. Uh, the Daleks say that they agree with this. The Egyptian army is has arrived. You can see where this is heading. Um, the, the, the reinforcements for the Egyptian army has arrived. The rendezvous point is made. The Doctor is there. And so is Maverick, Chen, Stephen, Sarah, the monk, and two Daleks. Um, the Doctor is basically talking from behind a, a stone slab because he knows the Daleks would, wouldn't would hesitate to shoot him and take the Terranium, you know, if <laughs> if they could. He <clears throat> orders, you know, since they, they did not live up to their side of the bargain, he orders them to turn over the hostages first and then he will give them the Terranium. Sarah, Stephen, and the monk are returned to the Doctor and just as the the exchange is about to go down. The Egyptians show up and start throwing spears and getting in the middle of things. Chen snatches the terranium from the doctor and everybody scatters. Um. <laughs> and this is where, uh, this is where all hell breaks loose. Yes. Uh, there are numerous casualties, mainly on the side of the Egyptians. Some of the Daleks are basically trapped uh, they they get themselves sort of trapped and hemmed in by uh, rocks that the Egyptians are piling around their casings, you know. But sure would be nice if they had the ability to levitate at this point, wouldn't it? Mm, maybe. <laughs> you know, they the Doctor, Sarah, and Stephen return to the TARDIS, and they're happy to get out of there. But the Doctor is very frustrated that he had to give up the Terranium to do so. But he has, when he snuck into the monk's TARDIS, he took the monk's directional stabilizer so that they would be able to get to Kemble for sure. And of course, the, the monk uh, runs back to his TARDIS, discovers that the doctor is basically using him as a diversionary tactic because his TARDIS is, looks like the, a police box, and he barely manages to dash inside and escape before the Daleks you know, open fire on him. Uh, he does land on a an ice planet because his directional stabilizer is gone and he has no control of where he's going. Um, so now his he, work's the same as the doctor's does. Yes, he has to wander time and space until he can repair his TARDIS again and he vows to get his revenge 
curse you, doctor. <laughs> ah, you know, all this stuff. Which, you know, you can really kind of see how this could have turned into the master if they'd wanted it to. Um, and and yeah. I, I really think that that was sort of the direction that they were heading at one point, but then they shifted gears and moved in a different direction. Right. The uh, <clears throat> Some of the novels decided to, uh, to turn the monk and the master uh, and uh, the war chief who is in a second Doctor story called The War Games, into three completely different Time Lords. Um, I would have preferred it. I would have liked it if the Monk, the War Chief, and the Master were all the same Time Lord. Because then yeah. it... Um, and maybe maybe we will think about you know including them uh, when we do our Master <laughs> story episodes. Um, Works for me. Because I, I think it would be interesting if if they did end up being the master but but the novels say otherwise so we'll we won't push that point well it'll um, give us an opportunity to talk about the first doctor again too that's true the doctor is able to fit the directional unit into the tardis console but since the directional unit is from a different model tardis he's not entirely sure that it's going to work they don't have a choice they pull the lever there's you know light and smoke and the TARDIS, you know, is shaken and, you know, all craziness breaks loose. But when they land, they look out the scanner and find out that they are indeed on Kemble. Uh, the t- directional unit burned out because it wasn't exactly compatible. But before it burned out, it did get them to Kemble. Uh, Chen and the Daleks have also returned to Kemble. Uh, and Chen is parading himself around as the savior of the Daleks and trying to make himself much more important than he is. Yeah. Uh, because they've got the Terranium back. He goes back and begins to proclaim to the Galactic Council and (laughs) begins to discuss and tell them how he's basically going to be the leader of the council now. The Daleks are, are, you know, don't want to get rid of him yet because his arrogance and greed will still prove to be useful. At this point, the council gets kind of angry about the fact that he is setting himself up above the rest of them. Um, I would be too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they're not taking this very well at all. No. <clears throat> no, uh, and in fact, they they move to attack Chen, and he shoots one of them. He has a gun, and he shoots one of them. Yeah. And the delegates, you know, calm down a little bit, enough to realize that the Daleks are no longer in the room, and that bars have been lowered over the only exit to the council chambers. <laughs> yeah, at this point, they start to realize that they've been duped. Right. And the Daleks begin to come in and, and lead the delegates somewhere else. Um, For me, this is really when the story started to pick up. Yeah. Um, and not that it's been bad up to this point. It's just, it's really at this point, I think, where it starts to ramp up as far as the dynamic of, you know, it, it 
it's really starting to take on darker tones and and really you know puts you in a position where you feel like there's something to lose right the the Daleks master plan up to this point has been a little hit or miss you know or just meh in some areas um, well I've enjoyed most of it I get yeah, most of it I've enjoyed it's not been it's not been blowing me out of the water up until this point for the most part you know obviously the stuff with Katarina uh, earlier in that we talked about last episode mm-hmm. that was a big deal but there's been nothing that's really been you know blowing me out of the water other than that for the most part but this is where things start to really kick into gear um, and it's what happens you know towards the end of this episode and into the next episode that really makes me you know uh, that really helps me turn the corner on this story arc you know from just sort of a it's good to I think I really like this this uh, but we'll get to that yeah um, uh, I th- just a little side note I think that the writers did a really good job incorporating the darkness into the storyline mm-hmm. um, because it starts out like I said on the last episode it starts out at the beginning with really really dark tones you know um, it moves into some more dark tones. And then the, as far as the darkness goes, it's sort of, you know, hit or miss for a little while. And then it, you know, you got the death of Katarina and that's mm-hmm. a really dark part, you know? And, but I mean, there, there's some hit or miss as far as the dark tones and stuff, but when they hit it, they really, really hit it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, there's, there's some things in this episode where I'm, I, I literally was sitting there going, I don't, I don't even think that the new who can hold a candle to the, the, the dark themes in this story, you know, uh, I don't know because I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that as it gets a little further along, but right. there's, there's a couple of things that happen in this, the storyline that I've not quite seen anything quite that dark on doctor who for a really long time. Yeah. Well, we'll get to there in a second. The Doctor, Sarah, and Stephen have been wandering through the jungle of Kemble trying to, to find the city, trying to find, you know, the Doctor, or the, the Daleks, and, you know, put a stop to, you know, the, um, the destruction that they want to unleash upon the universe. But they get separated. The Doctor gets separated from Stephen and Sarah. Stephen and Sarah decide to head towards the Dalek city because that's likely where the Doctor went. But they arrive, and it's almost completely deserted. There's nobody around. They haven't met any Daleks. Uh, they end up in a control center and try and you know call out the Daleks. Um, but they're only answered by the delegates of the you know the council. And see, at this point, I actually was kind of wondering before they ever heard anybody call out to them or anything. I was actually kind of wondering if maybe they had arrived at a different point in time than everybody else. Uh, because I was thinking to myself, well, maybe they actually ended up at an earlier point before the Daleks ever arrived there. Um, because, you know, there, there weren't any of the, the plants left on the planet or uh, they couldn't see any Daleks or anything like that. And it wasn't until they actually saw the ships of the 
delegates sitting out, you know, by the city or whatever that I, I realized that something else was going on because at that point it almost seemed like that, that they had arrived before the Daleks had arrived and that, that they were, um, that they'd missed it. Yeah. That they had uh, like overshot and hit like at an earlier point in time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was interesting. They sort of played on this. Well, are they actually here? Is this actually Kemble? You know, it was, you know, they, and not until you saw the city and realized that the delegate ships were still there. Right. Did you go, okay, what's going on? Um, the delegates, of course, have been basically imprisoned by the Daleks. Uh, and they're all angry and decide, most of them anyways, decide that they were, are going to unite their forces to try and stop the Dalek invasion. Uh, Stephen and Sarah discover that the Doctor is not in the city. Um but they do release the delegates. The delegates board their ships to return to their systems. Chen's ship is the last one to take off. Well, but it explodes basically as it's beginning to lift off. Yeah, it goes pow. It goes kablooey. Um, um, and yeah. they realize Earth isn't going to be warned. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. At this point, Chen had started getting on my nerves. And so when the ship blew up, I was thinking, yes, he finally got what he deserved. You know, because I was like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm tired of this guy. Just kill him. He's, you know? <laughs> he was getting really uh, megalomaniac, you know, getting to yeah. be really a real megalomaniac. I, uh, I, I literally was thinking in my head, just kill him with fire. You know, just go, go ahead. <laughs> kill him with fire. You know, we'll get into that a little bit later, but, um, yeah, he was really getting on my nerves at this point. Yeah. So it explodes. They realize Earth's not going to be warned, and so they have to find the doctor the doctor, so that he can get them to Earth and warn them of the invasion. They're going through the jungle, heading back to the TARDIS, and come across a Dalek, which is surprising because they haven't seen any since they landed back on Kemble. So they decide to follow the Dalek, who goes into an underground bunker. They say, well, maybe this is where the, do the doctor went. They decide that they're going to go in and try and find out what's going on. Oh, but there's Chen coming out of the bushes with a gun. <laughs> He's not actually dead. He faked his own death. Did you like my little fireworks show? Oh, yes. <laughs> so he leads them into the Dalek bunker at gunpoint. And that's where episode 11 or 12, depending on if you're counting that prequel episode. Uh, Let, let's, let's count the prequel episode because I don't want to count the, the Feast of Stephen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, however you want to count this, we are now going into the final episode of the Daleks' master plan. Uh, Chen is, you know, forcing Stephen and Sarah into the underground bunker and Chen is going a little bit nuts. He's, uh, his grip on reality and sanity is starting to slip, and he's convinced that the Doctor and his companions want to take Chen's place as guardian of the solar system by allying themselves with the Daleks. Yeah. You know, and nothing that Steven or Sarah can say will convince him otherwise. The Daleks have assembled an army and are preparing the time destructor 
they're about ready to basically about ready to, to launch the invasion when Chen enters uh, with his prisoners. Now, see, you've uh, got a little bit of a situation here that's similar to what we talked about on another episode uh, in the Dalek uh, invasion of Earth, uh, where you had the uh, the untested acid bombs. Uh, so, you know, you've got a similar scenario here where the Daleks have this machine that they've built that they just assume is going to work without any flaws or any problem whatsoever. So we're not going to, you know, test it before we go into battle with it. We're just going to turn it on, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, they were going to test it, but... They didn't yeah. have the correct terranium, so that didn't work. So they exactly. changed their mind and decided not to do that. Anymore. Yeah. Well, they, you know. their prisoners were escaping, <laughs> and so they had to, you know, speed up, uh, well, speed up the timetable, basically. Yeah. But of course, Chen comes in, and uh, they, the Daleks, take him and his prisoners to the control center, uh, to the Supreme Dalek. And Chen decides to try and throw his weight around. He tries to give orders to the Daleks. Yeah. Not good. And the Daleks aren't acknowledging him. (laughs) And Chen is getting really angry. The Daleks are basically taking his hostages away from him. And he becomes irate. Yeah. And tries to shoot the Supreme Dalek. You know who he reminded me of when he was screaming and stuff? Who? Davros. Mm. Yeah. We'll get to him in a few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just had to say that. Well, maybe half a dozen episodes. <laughs> I forget how many. Anyway. Um, but yeah, he, he, he does get a little bit irate and a little bit, you know, he, not quite as, you know, uh, grating on the ears as Davros, but yeah. A bit angry like him. Uh, Of course, his gun has no effect on the Supreme Dalek whatsoever. And of course, he just tried to... He just tried to assassinate (laughs) the Supreme Dalek, so uh, he realizes that his... uh, He's run out of luck. And and takes off. You just screwed up, boy. (laughs) (laughs) He takes off and of course is uh, pursued by Daleks. And they the, kill him with fire. Yeah, they do. They chase <laughs> him down, and they kill him. Um, and I was during, like, "Yeah, get him, get him, yeah." Get, you know, because <laughs> there's some times know. where you just want to root for the Daleks. <laughs> this was one of those times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but during this distraction, the Doctor emerges. Of course, the Daleks have completely left Stephen and Sarah unguarded, which is un-Dalek-like. And the Doctor emerges from the shadows and gives them the TARDIS key and tells them to go back to the ship. Uh, and at this point, I thought this, at this point, I thought this was a little bit funny uh, because Stephen's like, well, how did you find this place? And he's like, I followed a Dalek. How do you think I found this place? <laughs> <laughs> I followed a Dalek. How else would I have found it? Yeah, he's... <laughs> Very matter of fact. He's like, well, duh. <laughs> uh, if he was a valley girl, he'd be like, well, duh. Like, but the doctor's not a valley girl. One of the uh, things that I love about the first doctor is the fact that he will point out 
everybody else's stupidity, but then he will never acknowledge when he's wrong about anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, oh, that's the way I had it planned the whole time, or, well, I knew oh, that yeah. was going to happen, I just didn't tell you, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> In a little, in in a, in a little bit of a way, he reminds me of uh, uh, David Tennant's Doctor that way because David Tennant's Doctor does that a little bit too. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> only he does it. Uh, he does it in a little more subtle way. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, but the Doctor gives them the keys and tells them to to go. The Doctor takes the time destructor and. Uses puts himself between the Daleks who are returning and his companions, uh, and then uses the time destructor basically as a shield because the Daleks don't want to shoot it. Um, but now they've already turned it on, right? No, he turns it on. Ah, I'm sorry, I missed out on that part. My bad. He turns it on as soon as he uh, gets out the door. He turns it on because he's going to use that basically to to destroy the Daleks. Steven and Sarah are rushing through the jungle. Sarah decides to head back for the doctor without telling Steven. Steven makes it back to the TARDIS, realizes that he's by himself. And freaks out. And freaks out. Uh, but he does go inside the TARDIS to do as the doctor told him to do. Sarah, meanwhile, reunites with the doctor. And he's having a hard time because the time disrupts. Destructor is having an effect. It's starting to age him, starting to age the things around him, uh, and they're trying to make their way back to the TARDIS in time. At this point, it's just a good thing that the Doctor doesn't age the same way that people do. Right. Um, because uh, after making their way through the jungle a bit, which is turning rapidly turning into a desert, um, he turns back to look at Sarah, and she's dramatically older yeah at this point i couldn't tell if they had used old age makeup or if they had actually gotten a different actress because it looked so real yeah you know of course you know this is another one of the uh photo snaps you know this is a reconstruction right this episode is not complete and so you know it's sometimes it's hard to tell because the quality of the pictures varies depending on what they're using right but yeah, it was. They may have used just makeup on her, um, and if they did, it looked really good. Mm-hmm. She's dramatically older, and there the TARDIS is now within sight. But both of them are so weak from the aging of the time destructor that they collapse, and Stephen can't do anything. Uh, he can see them on the scanner, but he can't do anything. See, uh, this is what I was talking about before when I was talking about darker tones because she is literally laying there on the ground reaching out to the doctor for help and you can visibly see her getting older and older and older and older and just basically starting to turn to nothing, you know. Waste away. Yeah. She she dies. She ages to death. And to, since the time destructor is still going, she basically, by the time that all is said and done, all is, all is said and done, has turned to dust. You know. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah, it was. It creeped me out. 
It was. Um, I did not expect that. No. <laughs> um, and this is one of the things that I was talking about that that made me think. You know, when it comes to this, maybe not the whole story, up, you know, storyline or whatever, but when it comes to this, I think this is one of the the one rare occasions where new who doesn't hold a candle to old uh, old who, um, because I've not seen something quite that dark in new who yet. Uh, somebody literally just disintegrating, you know. Especially a companion, uh, yeah. basically. Because she's essentially become a companion at this point. Um, and I think on most lists she is considered, uh, Sarah Kingdom is considered a, a companion. So we've had two companions die in this one storyline. Yeah. We'll come back to that here in a minute. Stephen finally, you know, the doctor's close enough. Stephen finally decides to go outside, grab the doctor before the time destructor starts to have too much of an effect on him. They get back into the TARDIS just as a Dalek patrol comes, you know, up. Uh, they're not moving very quickly. Uh, they try to destroy the time destructor, but they can't, and they rot away. Uh, their casings turn to dust. Finally, the uh, Terranium inside the time destructor burns out it's all used up and it's the time destructor stops well see this is where i had a little bit of a question because when i'm when i'm thinking of this scenario i'm thinking you know the daleks acted like this was going to be the ultimate weapon that they were going to be able to use to take over all these different planets and stuff but it seems like it's just a one-time use deal you know. I think it's one of, well, the Doctrine didn't turn it off, though. That's the thing. I think what they, the Daleks would have used it as is a fear weapon, a weapon of fear. Mm-hmm. They'd have used it on a small, you know, in a small controlled setting rather than for the entire planet. That makes more um, sense. You know? you know, they'd have, you know, done away with some leaders, you know, to whip the populace into shape, put them in, you know, put them in line, and, and then they'd conquer that way. Make everybody think that they could do that to everybody anytime they wanted to. Right. Right. Yeah, that would be that would be very Dalek like actually. But it stops the aging of the planet, stops the doctor is recovered because the the TARDIS has helped to rejuvenate him a little bit. And Stephen and the doctor step out of the TARDIS to investigate the remains of the Daleks and inside the the rotting casings of the Daleks, they find a tiny little dead Dalek embryo. They were some laying on the ground, too. Yep, they were laying on the ground, and it it was... uh, Which is interesting, because now this puts the first time that we've kind of actually seen what's inside a Dalek, Mm -hmm. you know, for real, you know, on screen. Which is surprising to me because I didn't expect us to see it that early in the show. And they're similar. They're not the same, but they're similar to the ones that we've seen later on. Uh, They're smaller. Uh, I think that one of the things that they did later on is they they started making them bigger. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that had something to do with the difference in their mutations and things like that. Um, And also, uh, uh, these, I don't think, had visible eyes. Uh, I could I, I could be wrong. I don't think so either. Um, but it, it's uh, hard to tell because, like like I said, it, it's you know it's the 
the photo snaps and mm-hmm. sometimes they'll grab uh, images that aren't exactly from the show to you know lay over things to uh, give us the idea. Some, like the sunglasses the monk used, or yeah. not, you know, wasn't <laughs> actually the sunglasses that he was wearing in the show. Um, um, but they'll actually take sometimes images from previous episodes in the same storyline to lay into later episodes as well, um, yeah. just to try to fill it in and make it work. But, you know, they've, they've defeated the Daleks. The Daleks' master plan has been halted. Um, they're, you know, Steven is very relieved and happy about this. And then the doctor looks over at basically the empty uniform of Sarah kingdom and reminds him of Katarina Mm -hmm. and just says his last words in the episode were, it's a waste. What a terrible waste. Yeah. And the two of them make their way back into the TARDIS. Yeah. And that's where the episode ended. It was not a happy ending, really. You know, they they stopped the Daleks, yes, but it wasn't, like, a happy ending. Yeah, it was a bittersweet victory. It wasn't one of those... uh... Uh, it wasn't one of those Star Wars Episode Four endings, you know. Uh, <laughs> With the parade yeah. and everything at the end. Yeah, no. Yeah, it, it would definitely, it was more, uh, what would you say, Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, we live to fight another day, you know, that's good, right? You know. Right, um, right. Yeah, but no, I actually, uh, I think the last, I want to say the last two episodes of this, uh, redeemed a lot of it for me. I would have to agree. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. It was really good. It was very well acted, the story. You know, from what we can glean from the the reconstructions, it was very well acted. It was intense. They, you know, they wrapped up all the, the loose ends, mm-hmm. you know, very well. It wasn't too rushed, um, but it wasn't drawn out either, in my opinion. Um, and we had there a were some, second companion die. Yeah, and, and there that was that was. I mean, I I kind of knew it was going to happen, but I, I mean, I wasn't spoiled uh, so much, but I just kind of knew it was going to happen because I knew that she wasn't around for very long, right? Um, and so I, I I mean I didn't know she was going to die like you know. Like that, yeah. But I, I thought she's either going to get shot or she's going to get left behind. Something's going to happen because she's not going to be around for very long, right? Um, but then when that happened, I was like, "Oh my, uh, ooh, yeah, yeah." I just sort of, you know, <laughs> put my hand over my mouth, like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe yeah. that they went there." Almost, you know, it was yeah. like, how. <laughs> Wow, it was dark. You know, the yeah. two female companions, you know, mm. tough companions, you know, and, intelligent people. And the way that space, they died, you know, the way that both of them died. Katarina mm. spaces herself in order to save the doctor's life. Yeah. Sarah refuses to leave the doctor on his own with the time destructor and the Daleks. She probably, he probably wouldn't have made it back without her, would he? Probably. 
Um, and it's like I said, it's hard to tell with the way that they did the reconstructions. Yeah. But I get the idea that maybe they were probably carrying it together, or she was helping to push him along. Yeah, or something. he indicated that he couldn't have done it without her. In a sense, both of them laid down their lives to save the doctors, and we know how the doctor feels. You know, number one about saying goodbyes, right? But we also know how much it weighs on his conscience when people die to save him. Well, see, this, to me, puts things in a whole different light when you get to the new Who episodes because, I mean, everybody knows, well, you know, he's brooding and everything because of the Time War and, you know, he's the last of the Time Lords and da-da-da-da-da-da. But they don't really realize that not only does he have that weighing on him, he has all of this stuff that happened all these years before weighing on him as well he still remembers every single one of these people he still mm-hmm. remembers every single one of these incidents and he feels responsible for every single person that died under his watch and every single person that he ended up unwillingly having to sacrifice or leave behind or whatever because he knew he couldn't do anything about it you know right and so that's a whole nother layer to the onion if you will of who mm-hmm. the doctor is um yeah, yeah. It, it it it's dark it's really it's, dark yeah it, <laughs> there's a reason why he broods um, yeah <laughs> and it's you know almost surprising that it doesn't he doesn't he's not darker as a character um well that may be the reason why capaldi's doctor is so dark well, partly at least you know um all right Let's sort of, you know, wrap this up, you know, think back, you know, not only to this episode, this selection of episodes, but also back to the rest of the episodes in this arc. Do you have a favorite moment? (laughs) Uh, Favorite good moment or favorite bad moment? Favorite good moment. (laughs) So you can completely, Uh, uh, you know, cross out anything from the Feast of Stephen. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think, okay, let me put it this way. My favorite humorous moment uh, is probably the the cricket game. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because that was just so, you know, I mean... It was almost like something out of Monty Python or something, you know. It was it was just so overwhelmingly, Random. overwhelmingly, you know, under how do you put it? Um, underplayed, you <laughs> yes. know. Uh, it, it was it was very very much uh, a dry type of uh, very British type humor, which I love. Um, I, I get it even when some people don't, you know, some people would be looking at it like, what, I, what, <laughs> what, 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 you know, and, but I got it immediately. It was, it was like, oh dude, that's so hilarious, you know? And, uh, so as far as humorous parts, that was my favorite. What was your favorite humorous part? Oh, probably, probably some of the one-liners between the doctor and the monk. Um, because he... The doctor has nothing but, you know, irritation and a slight <laughs> bit of contempt for the monk. And he's not shy about telling the monk that to his face. Um, and so, that you know, he, he says a couple of things, and I, I can't think of specific lines off the top of my head right now. But there's a couple of times, especially when they're dealing with the Daleks and Chen, 
where uh, the doctor just sort of casually, you know, throws the monk under the bus, you know, in his, while he's talking. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, some of those things. As far as humorous moments, uh, I'd say some of the doctor and monk <laughs> interactions. Uh, and, and and particularly, I think, the uh, the the sarcophagus incident. Um, that was that was pretty good, I got to say. I, so. I did I did enjoy when the doctor got in there and messed with the chameleon circuit too. I laughed out <laughs> loud when I saw that because when it was start when his TARDIS starts changing into all those different random things who that look absolutely nothing like anything else in the in the entire area. I I, was, I just literally started laughing out loud because uh I I just thought, you know, I mean, he could have left it looking like a sofa or something if he wanted to, you know. And, <laughs> I mean, oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I thought that, you know, I mean, a '57 Chevy, you know. So I mean, hey, a DeLorean. There you go. There uh, we go. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just, I thought all of these possibilities were in my head about, yeah, he could have left that looking like that, or he could have left that looking like that. You know, I realized then why he did what he did, which made it even funnier at the end of it. But I, when he started doing that, I, I literally laughed out loud. Oh, okay. I found I found a, a list of of what he turned the TARDIS into before it finally became the police box. <laughs> uh, when it landed, it was originally a, a pillar, you know, that a fit big in block, a big block, a big block pillar that fit in with the the pyramids and everything. Uh, then it turned into a motorbike, yeah, a carriage. A wagon, a tank, <laughs> like from World War II, yeah. a tank, um, and then finally a police box. So, yeah, I laughed out loud. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just couldn't help yeah. it. <laughs> so, how about uh, your favorite darker moment? Oh wow, that would have to be Susan's death. Um, Susan, yeah, or Sarah. I'm sorry, Sarah's death. I'm sorry, Sarah's death. I'm sorry, I got Susan on the brain for some reason. Uh, yeah, it would have to be Sarah's death uh, because that has got to be one of the darkest moments I've ever seen in an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think I just have to to say, kind of, kind of all of episode twelve, uh, the final episode. It, it just yeah, pretty much everything. Everything <laughs> came together so well in those final two episodes. Yeah. It, it was building up when the monk showed up. I was starting to get engaged i was like okay i like this character i know this character um because i've seen the time meddler uh, have you seen the time meddler yet? i've not seen it yet no okay i actually had to skip it in order to watch this but uh yeah okay um but you know when he shows up i'm like okay this is where things are starting to pick up and i like that and then getting to episode 12 or or 13 whatever you want to call it the, the final episode <laughs> we don't um, we don't count feast of steven <laughs> we don't count Feast of Steven. Um, um, getting to that and just the way it all wrapped up, uh, it was it was dark, but it was good. It was a really good episode, and it is yeah one of the highlights of the first Doctor. I have to say, as someone who hasn't met the monk before in his own episode, uh, what did you think of him? I actually liked him as a character. Um, I I thought, like I said before, I thought that it would have been a really great way to have started out the the master because, uh, you know, you almost get the impression 
that there's you almost get the impression that the master has this agenda to almost want to be the doctor's friend, but at the <laughs> same time, you know, he like wants to poke the bear with the stick, if you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> it's like, I want to see just how bad I can be before he finally, you know, gets enough of it and tries to do something about it kind of thing, you know? Right. Um, because it really becomes almost like this tug of war between the two of them. They're, they're literally almost like the yin and yang of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like the doctor, of course he could exist without the, the master because he obviously did. But when the master comes into play um, and you have that, that I want to say that Moriarty to the, the doctor's Sherlock Holmes, um, mm. type scenario yeah it it brings everything to a whole nother level in my opinion you know because then the stakes are higher then you know and, and and it's like the it's like the master actually enjoys that relationship you know uh that, right and 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 i even got that vibe when uh capaldi met back up with the the master again last season um, it literally felt like the 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 master wants to be the doctor's friend, but he still wants to be evil, you know. And be- right. because he still wants to be evil, the doctor wants to have nothing to do with him, you know. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No. 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 It, it does. It does. Uh, so I, I'm glad that that sort of comes through with the monk. Yeah. It really I does. Really, I, I really like him as a character. <clears throat> And as soon as I, I thought he showed up in here because there's a there's a, a special, uh, a DVD, it's the special of the first and second Doctors called the Lost Episodes, and it has you know either short summaries of some of these Lost Episodes, or in some cases has complete episodes from series that aren't uh, complete, right. um, and they had. Uh, episode 10 in here in this episode was a, one of the complete episodes from the Daleks master plan. And that was uh, the one where all hell breaks loose at the pyramid. Yeah. Um, and that was on that, that DVD that I got at the library. And so I was like, is that this story? I thought it was. Um, and so, so I kind of knew he was going to be here. So you actually got to see that uh, in action. Yes. Oh, yes. dude, I wish I'd gotten to see that in action. Oh, you didn't? No, I, I saw a, it with photographs and stuff. Oh no, there, there's one. Yeah, I we'll have to update that the, the link. Yeah, if we can um, if we can find the link to that, because, I want to be able to see that because there's three of these episodes. Um, episode two, five, and ten are complete mm-hmm. film recordings. So we will update the links on the uh, the Facebook page that we that we've been linking to this. Um, to make sure that is correct for you guys. But yeah, I, so I had seen that episode before, uh, watching this, uh, and I thought it was part of this story arc, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Uh, so when, uh, the, the monk showed up shortly after we, you know, shortly into this chunk of episodes, I was mm-hmm. like, Oh good. I'm, I'm excited. But yes, that's enough about the monk. Um, now that we have seen all of the episodes of the first Doctor and the Daleks, 
Is there anything notable to you about the way that this doctor uh, deals with the Daleks? Uh, I think, uh, well, I, th- I see some similarities to the way that some of the other doctors do it because uh, the doctor knows that he can't overpower them. He knows that the only way that he can do anything to beat them is to outthink them. And, of course, they're bred to be super intelligent. So, you know, it takes somebody with his intelligence level to be able to to outthink them. And even as smart as the Daleks are, though, they still can make mistakes. Um, And and he has learned how to to, uh, maximize... Uh, the the potential that he has to to utilize those mistakes, you know, but this this being the, the the doctor has not encountered them before and doesn't have any background history on them or anything like that. It, it literally comes off like he's flying by the seat of his pants, you know. Uh, he just he he's he improvises everything because he doesn't have any back history or anything like that to work off of. He doesn't know how he's beaten them in the past and things like that. You know, it's, it's not like it is with Christopher Eccleston who has dealt with these things for centuries. Um, it, it literally is more like, you know, I have to feel my way through this and, you know, hope for the best, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I, as an overview of the the four story arcs that we've seen the first doctor deal with the Daleks, he definitely has a bit of an evolution without he without how he deals with them. Right. Uh, it begins a bit more tentative, a bit you know like he's trying to feel these guys out, and then by the time we get to the chase and the Daleks' master plan, he's much more comfortable dealing with them. You know, he's able to sort of predict what they will do, how they will respond. And especially by the time we get to the Daleks' master plan, he's more ready to just sort of deal with them head on. You know, he doesn't want to get innocent people hurt. Right. But he's more willing to, you know, almost almost just sort of, you know, headbutt, you know, metaphorically, uh, the Daleks into submission. Like, he's going to deal with them directly. And he actually has, um, towards the end of this, in my opinion, he has kind of an attitude of, I don't care what I have to do to beat you, I'm going to beat you, even if I have to kill you, you know, uh, it doesn't matter to me because uh, I don't value your life, you know. Right. Um, Whereas when he first encountered them, he was... Like you said, he was trying to feel it out. He was trying to, you know, to think: are, you know, are these guys redeemable? You know, or is there right. is there something that we can do to try to figure out how to get through to them to make them, you know, stop doing what they're doing and and make them redeemable? And by the time you get to the end of this, he's literally to the point where he's he's has this mindset of they're Daleks, just kill them. Okay. Cool. Well, um, now that we have seen every episode of, uh, you know, Mission to the Unknown slash the Daleks Master Plan, what would you rate this episode at? And would you recommend it to fellow Hubians? Uh, how many Tardises would you give? <laughs> no, how many? No, how many Daleks would you give? I would. I would this give. Episode? Well, the story arc. 
See, now, if you had asked me this before I watched the last two episodes, I would have given it a lower score. Uh, mm-hmm. But since I watched the last two episodes, uh, I would have to say that I would maybe give it a seven. You know, because, like you said, there's some hit or miss things in here. Uh, you know, I, I recommend watch it and leave out the Feast of Stephen. Um, you know, because it doesn't matter. Uh, I was actually looking at the TARDIS wiki, and the Feast of Stephen was the first episode that was destroyed in the BBC's <laughs> um, in the BBC's junking program. <laughs> oh, if that's not poetic, I don't know what is. Oh, yeah, wow. I mean, that's it's almost as bad as the Star Wars Christmas special, but you know. <laughs> I don't think anything can be worse than the Star Wars Holiday Special. Okay. Oh, that it, thing is atrocious. It's a slight, uh, it's a slight exaggeration, but you get my point. Oh. Um, anyways. <laughs> um, mm. No, the, anyway. there was some stuff with the cops in there that were funny and stuff, but, you know, I, it's just not worth watching. Yeah, the, uh, the I still think that the first half and the second half almost seem like standalones. Mm-hmm. You know, because you get to the point where the doctor swaps out the, uh, with the pteridium, uh, uh, pteridium. Yeah. Pteridium. Ter- I, yeah, pteridium. Yeah. You get to that point and it feels like it's, it's an ending point. It feels like that it's encapsulated at that point. And then once you pick up after that, it feels the same way, almost like a sequel to the first part, you know, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if they were going to do this, uh, story in like a motion picture you could do you know uh epi- part one and two part one and like two, we did <laughs> you know the yeah, basically the same way that we did but i will say this i felt like that as great as the writing was on this there was still some room to trim the fat yeah. you know because there were some things that they could have taken out of it and it would not have taken away from the story it would actually have probably uh, improved on it a little bit because uh, it would have made it a little bit more concise and a little bit more uh, compact. And you know that's the that's the the biggest criticism I think I would have of this is there's in some places there's a little bit too much empty space if that makes sense because they're they're uh, they're drawing the story out maybe a little bit more than they should and I can see why it's 13 episodes long. Because it's so drawn out, but I honestly think they could have told this story in nine, maybe, mm. and still had all the meat in there, you know. Yeah. Of course, we're looking at this from a, a you know film and television viewers, mm-hmm. you know, more than forty years after the fact, right? Or about forty years after the fact, forty fifty years after the fact, uh, but. Yeah, I think uh, the this, the last two episodes are so strong. The last half is much stronger than the first half, mm-hmm. in my opinion. There's a lot of, of uh, setup and a lot of exposition that goes into the first half of this story arc. You kind of need that, for the most part, for the last half to have so much impact. But I think you're right. There could have been some trimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, even if they'd done it in ten episodes instead of thirteen, I think it was still been, you know, just yeah, you know, just as much story in there. I agree. Um, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. 
I'm going to split this up. Um, I'm going to give the first half a six and a half, and the second half, minus the Feast of Stephen, <laughs> an eight. I would actually agree with you on that. That's the reason I ended up giving it about a seven, because I was taking the first and second half into account like that. Um, yeah. Which I enjoyed the first half. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as I did the second half. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's. I'd recommend it, uh, but I'd also warn people that since it is so long, you'll need to block out, uh, you know, a large chunk of time. Right. E- either do it, you know, two consecutive nights, or just you know spend an entire day watching these because if you break it up over too much of a longer period you're going to get lost and it's going to stop making as much sense. It needs to be seen relatively quickly one episode after the other, in my opinion. Uh, And also, I think one of the things that redeems the first half is the prequel episode um, because of the the way that it sets everything up. Um, And that that episode being um, uh, Mission to the Unknown. Right. There we go. Uh, I think that that really added something to the first half. All right. Well, any other final thoughts on before we start wrapping up this review? I'm just looking forward to our next episode. Yes. Uh, next episode, we will be uh, taking a break from our reviews for at least one episode, maybe two. We'll see what happens. Uh, next episode, we are going to be talking about our top five villains. Uh, we'll probably have at least one or two honorable mentions thrown in there because, you know, that's how we do things. But we want to get your thoughts on who your top five villains are. We'll post this on our social media and stuff. But, uh, or at least who your favorite villains are. Uh, so if you want to let us know who your favorite villain is and why, uh, your response may be on the show. So I'm going to throw this out there and say if you guys have a topic that you want us to discuss, send us a message or something on Facebook or on uh, our website using email and we would be more than happy to hear your suggestions. Yes. Uh, and that is a great segue because, hey, guess what? While I was on vacation, Paul did some amazing online wizardry and got our website to something that is more than just where we post uh, our episodes. Uh, the website has been completely revamped. Uh, it's got all of our information on there, and it looks really awesome, if I say so myself. Paul did an amazing job. Well, thank you. Uh, I came back from vacation. He's like, yeah, I kind of did a few things. And I looked at it, and I was like, that's more than a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. But it's really great. You can find <laughs> all of our episodes on there. You can also find links to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash talkingtimelords. Links to our Twitter account, which our Twitter handle is at talkingtimelord. Also, our YouTube page where you can subscribe to video version to get video versions of our podcast episodes. Uh, the video versions are, you know, behind because we kind of have to post these first, um, and it takes time to, to edit this together. So, and I, uh, I apologize for the delay on that, but I am working on it. So, and if you want to email us, you can email us at talkingtimelords at gmail dot com. But yes, our our website is now the home 
of for all things talking time lords. If you have trouble remembering our email address, you can always go to the contact us page on the website and it takes you to that exact same email address. So Yes. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Can't think of anything, brother. All right. Well, I am excited to uh, get to our villains episode. And when we come back to our Dalek episodes, I'm excited to see what the second Doctor does. Because I have not actually seen either of his Dalek story arcs. So This will be new for uh, me, too. I'm I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we'll get back. Like I said, we'll get back to those in, a, in an episode or two. That <laughs> um, also depends on how far we get before the new series comes back. We should get at least, I think, the second Doctor's Dalek story arcs done before the new series starts. Uh, because he's only got two of them, if I remember correctly. Uh, but I think that wraps up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 10, the Dalek's Master Plan Story Review Part 2. For Paul, I'm Jason, and and until next time, remember... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Allons-y! Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. Thank you.